Good morning, church. It's wonderful to be with you today. I just want to take a moment just to honor Shayla. How well did she do? Where is she? She escaped. She's <laughs> a sneaky little one. Uh, Shayla and Jedi Youth Foster have both recently gone through their note to preach, and so you're going to be expecting to see a lot more of them up here. And we are so excited to see what God is going to do through them. Um, now, as fitting, I would like to begin with a joke. Oh, wait, Shayla's about to come in. Everyone clap. My favorite activity is to make her embarrassed. So there's these two best friends. They've been besties since birth. They were joined at the hip, and they went on a hiking trail together. And while they were hiking, they saw in the distance a hungry lioness who started making a beeline towards them. And so frantically, they quickly try and come up with a plan of how to survive. They know they could never be torn apart from each other, but after a while of, of this panic, the one friend just stops talking and digs in his backpack and finds a pair of running shoes and puts them on. And as he's tying his laces, the other friend says, really, is that your plan? There's no way you're going to outrun that lion. To which his friend responds, no, I don't need to outrun the lion. I just need to outrun you. He clearly didn't take courage in the power of unity. <laughs> he didn't know the power of unity. And today we uh, are in our second week of our sermon series together. where We'll be looking deeply into that topic and, and just how powerful unity is. Unity truly is a powerful, powerful force. If you've ever doubted the power of unity, then I encourage you just to sign up for the next holiday club. Because it's easy to keep one child quiet. <laughs> but when there's a horde, it's almost impossible. You will know, especially on baking days, it's impossible. There's power in numbers. <laughs> but we see the power of unity in nature even, as you look at probably one of the most fragile things in nature, a, a snowflake. And yet when it's joined together, when they stick together, they become a force to be reckoned with. And we see the power of unity all throughout the Holy Scriptures. We see it in Proverbs as we are told that a one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. You can do 10 more times more together than what you can do alone. We see this power displayed so vividly at the walls of Jericho. Walls that were said, the Scripture reveals, that were impossible to overcome, collapsed not because of power, not because of brute force, not because of superior war tactics, but because of unity. The very moment the army lifted up a united shout of praise, the walls came crumbling down. We see its power again displayed on Gideon's battlefield where the odds were stacked against him. 300 men on his camp versus 135,000 in the enemy's camp. And yet they win. They win. Once again, not because of, of any power of their own, not through ability, but through unity. When the army gathered around the enemy's camp and together in unison broke their jaws and together lifted up a united battle cry, the enemy army got so confused that just defeated itself. <laughs> How cool is that? <laughs> we see it again in the upper room, don't we? where the disciples gathered together to pray in unity. 
and the Holy Spirit falls upon that place and shakes the foundations of the place and the whole earth was changed. People were not the same after that moment. The consequence of a united church is that walls fall down, the enemy is defeated, and people's lives are changed. Unity is so, so, so powerful. It's so powerful. God himself testifies to this at the Tower of Babel, where people were united in rebellion. And God says, look, the people are united and all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them because they are united. And they were united for the wrong reasons. Can you imagine, church, what it would mean if we were united for the right reasons? Lucky for us, we don't really have to imagine too hard because Jesus gives us a very straightforward answer in our reading for today. A very famous excerpt of the famous prayer Jesus prayed. And this prayer, this part of the prayer, is a prayer that he prayed for us, for the believers that are to come. And so I'm going to be reading to you from John chapter 17, from verse 20 to verse 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought together in complete, complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them, even as you have loved me. Aren't those words just so profound? Then they will be brought to complete unity. And only then will the world know that you sent me and that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity with each other is what will compel the world of the presence of Jesus. And our unity of each other is what will compel the world of his love. Unity is powerful, but it's also so important. It's so important. We have the ability to reflect Christ's love to the world just by being united. The Bible constantly emphasizes how important it is. Uh, it says in the, the Psalms, how good and pleasant it is when God's people join together in complete unity. How good and pleasant it is. Uh, Jesus testifies. He says, I, he says I, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything, it will be done for you by your Father in heaven. Isn't that powerful? If two of you on earth agree about anything, it will be done for you by your Father in heaven. And the Apostle Paul pleads. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you that there be no divisions among you, but that you be completely united. And you see how important unity is. There's an urgency about it. As God's church, we have a responsibility to fight for unity. We have a responsibility to fight for unity. And I believe the first thing we need to do in order for this to happen is, is simple, but yet profound. In order for us to fight for unity, we need to learn the art of celebrating 
each other's differences. We need to celebrate each other's differences because unity is not uniformity. And it's, it's such an important thing to grasp. It's such an important thing to grasp. We don't have to be the same to be united. Isn't that a relief? We don't have to be the same. The most united I've ever felt with a group of believers wasn't even in this country. It was on the mission fields in Mozambique. We were surrounded by difference. A different nation, different language, different style of worship. It was holy chaos at points. And yet we, we were completely united because of our bond in Jesus. Because of our bond in Jesus. Unity is not uniformity. Difference is good. Difference is important. And difference is very necessary. Can you imagine with me for a moment if you had, was, had such a busy day that you forgot to eat breakfast and lunch and you got on really, really late long after your family has gone to bed and you're so excited because your significant others prepared a feast for you in the kitchen and so you get a plate out and you open the first pot and under that pot's rice and so you dish it up enthusiastically and under the second pot is rice and under the third pot is rice. You would not be too happy. Difference is necessary. Difference is important. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful picture of this as he describes the body of Christ. And he says these words. He says, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it will not for that reason cease to belong to the body. Because if the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Where would the sense of hearing be? And he goes on to say, and the eye can't say to the hand that I don't need you, because God has placed each part just as he desired. So there should be no division in the body. God has placed each part just as he desired. So there should be no division in the body. It's like he's saying, if you've ever felt like you don't belong because you're different, then you're wrong because you do belong. And equally as profound, if you've ever felt like someone else doesn't belong because they're different, well, unfortunately, then you're wrong too, because they do. We are different by divine design. We are different by divine design. Our differences is actually what strengthens us. Our differences is, is where we are able to function. If the whole body was a brain, it wouldn't get very far, would it? We will be able to think a lot, but not do much. We are different by divine design. The opposite to unity is not difference. The opposite to unity is division. And the irony is that we actually cause this division when we expect everyone to be the same. When we expect people to pray the way we pray, worship the way we worship, believe what we believe, interpret the Bible the way we interpret the Bible, when we expect people to dress the same, look the same, sound the same, like the same music, all we're doing is drawing a line in the sand, a line that keeps people out, a line that perpetuates judgment, and a line that makes people feel like they don't belong. Division is very dangerous. Jesus says so himself as he testifies. He says, a kingdom divided against itself will never stand. A kingdom divided against itself will surely collapse. A kingdom divided against itself will crumble. Division is dangerous, and it's dangerous for the following reasons. Firstly, 
division dilutes. Matthew interprets these words of Jesus this way. He says, a kingdom divided against itself will never conquer. And to be the conquerors that God has called us to be, we have to be united. We can't be divided. Division will just dilute our impact in this world, especially when we are internally divided, when we are constantly speaking down to ourselves, when we're constantly doubting our calling, when we're constantly doubting our place in the world and the gifts God has given us, when we are constantly engaged in an internal tug of war with our insecurities. All we're doing is diluting our impact, the impact that God has, has ordained for you to have on this world. Division is dangerous. It's dangerous because it also destroys. A family divided against itself cannot stand. A marriage divided against itself cannot stand. A church divided against itself cannot stand. A nation divided against itself cannot stand. Division is dangerous because it also distracts us. It distracts us. It, it shifts our focus from our purpose and it keeps us busy bickering about insignificant details. And then we become so bitter and so disheartened and so offended and, and we resent the other so much that we forget to do the one thing, the main thing, the only thing Jesus has ever called us to do, and that is to love each other and to grow his kingdom through our love. Division is dangerous. We see its effects all around us. We're living in times of incredible division. It's almost as if we've lost our tolerance for each other and for differences. It's like there's an ever-deepening line being drawn. And we can see the pain our disunity is causing us all around us, especially on the internet where it's safe to share your opinion. <laughs> where we tear each other down just for having a difference of opinion. Now, I have to confess something this morning. I have a, a toxic trait. I'm not really proud, but I genuinely get a lot of joy out of reading the comment section on posts on Facebook. I know it's not kind, but I just love it. I love to see Karens at each other. It's just wonderful. I don't even need Netflix. I just see a controversial post and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> now, I'm on many groups on Facebook. One of them is a group called Wat Eert Ons Vernant, and the reason I'm on it is so that I don't provide my husband with four pots of rice. <laughs> But this group is pretty safe as far as Facebook comments go. The comments section, they never really discuss politics or religion. They never enter, enter into deep debates or anything like that. Uh, the comments usually consist of very boring things like Lake Lacquer or Recipe Please or Yum. <laughs> it's really boring. <laughs> no popcorn is necessary. Until this one day, <laughs> my favorite day, where this lady posted a picture of her dinner with the caption, macaroni cheese with potatoes yeah things got intense all the usual characters of the debate showed up firstly the villains they were very cruel there were many of them some just po posted yuck disgusting some posted they were deep they were like how could you dare to feed your children such an unbalanced diet we don't even know if she had children but they were at it righteously they were disgusted in her that's one way to pick up weight, <laughs> carbs on carbs. Then the heroes, as they always do, swooped right on in 
being encouraging, you just do you. Some of them got a bit religious, judge not and you will not be judged. One of them even posted a Bible verse on a post about mac and cheese. Then there was the troublemaker. This is my second favorite comment. He said, mmm, one way to make that dinner better is to put it on a sandwich. (laughs) But by far, the best, my personal best, was this one lady who just commented these words. She said, I personally find carbs on carbs absolutely disgraceful. But how dare you judge her for posting this? (laughs) How's that woman? She just waltzes right on in and manages to offend both people on either sides of the argument. (laughs) And this is a funny, funny comment stream, but it just shows us we have become so intolerant of difference. So intolerant of difference. We're so divided that sometimes unity seems impossible. And I'm not sure if there's anyone here who's ever felt that way. You become disheartened. But then I'm reminded of Jesus' prayer. And those powerful words he says, let them be one, Father, as we are one. And I'm encouraged because no word that has ever proceeded from the mouth of God has ever returned back void. And so unity is possible. Unity is possible. And the Apostle Paul tells us how in the book of Ephesians. He says these profound words. He says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity is of the Spirit. And so if we want to be a united people, we need to be a people who are filled with the Spirit of God. Because when we come to God and ask Him to fill us, We are equipped for unity. And we are equipped in these three ways. The first is simply this. The Spirit of God transforms us. Alone, I have no hope. (laughs) Alone, I'm too selfish, too impatient, and too intolerant. (laughs) Alone, I'm incapable of unity. But when I let the Spirit close, He begins to transform my character, our character. And he makes us into the likeness of Christ by growing his fruit on the inside. And suddenly we begin to act more like Jesus because we have his nature. Suddenly we begin to treat people like Jesus treated people. Suddenly we begin to see people the way Jesus sees people. And suddenly we are empowered to bear with each other in love, to celebrate and even honor difference. We're enabled to show kindness and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control. These fruits are the invisible qualities of the visible qualities of an invisible God who's living on the inside of us, who's taken up residency on the inside of us. And these fruits are the weapons that we have to use in our fight for unity. We have to use them in our fight for unity. We have to pursue them. And sometimes that means that for the best fruit to grow, we have to go through a painful process of pruning. We have to be vulnerable and brave enough to let the Father, the gardener, close and let him cut off any of the dead weight the bias, the bitterness, the offense, the unforgiveness. 
Pruning sounds scary. But in my experience, when you let him in and he does this work, the result isn't ever pain, but relief. Because you're suddenly free from the stuff you were never meant to carry. The Spirit of God equips us for unity because he transforms us. And secondly, the Spirit reminds us who we are. The Spirit reminds us who we are. We are all saved by the same blood. We all have the same Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. And we all worship the same Father in heaven who calls us his Father, who calls us sons and daughters. Being brothers and sisters in Christ is what unites us. But how will I relate to you as my brother and sister if I myself do not feel like a child? And how will I feel like a child if I have strayed from the Father's side and in my waywardness I've begun to feel more like an orphan? The prodigal son did this. We know his story well. He left his father's side. And as time progressed, he began to feel more like a slave than a son. But we know the good news of the story. When he was brave enough to come back home, his father met him with a warm embrace. And in an instant, he was restored. In an instant, he was restored. And he felt like he was part of the family again. The Bible testifies that when we do this work, when we do this brave work, and we choose to turn again to God, if we have strayed from him through ignorance or through our our own deliberate fault, when we choose to go back to him, the spirit of God testifies with our own spirits that we are no longer orphans, but that we are children that we are beloved children. And in an instant, we have this deep knowing that surpasses our intellect. It even surpasses our emotions. This deep knowing on a spirit level that we are beloved as his very children. We are beloved and that we belong. And when we finally get it, when we finally realize that we are valued and loved and irreplaceable, we suddenly stop to see each other as a threat. Suddenly, we're able to celebrate difference. Suddenly, we become so secure in our identities that we're able to look at the accomplishments of others, and instead of become bitter, we're able to celebrate them. The Spirit of God enables us. He transforms us. He reminds us who we are. And lastly, He restores us. He restores us. There's this wonderful image in the book of Ezekiel that gives us a picture of God's church standing together as a united army. But it wasn't always this way. When Ezekiel first enters the scene, all he sees before him is a valley filled with scattered, dry and desolate bones. It was scattered. Nothing was joined together. Nothing was as it should be. At the time of this vision, Israel was dead as a nation. They had been deprived of their nation, of their temple, and of their king. They had been divided and dispersed throughout the land for so long that they felt restoration was completely impossible. Completely impossible. They believed that their nation had died in Babylon's attack, and so they had lost all hope. And so in the midst of this hopeless situation, Ezekiel, God takes Ezekiel into this valley, displaying, giving a picture to the hopelessness that his nation was feeling. And he asks him a very profound question. 
He says, son of man, can these bones live? A question most of us, any logical human being, would probably have said no to. I just picture the scene if it was you. And you walked in and all you saw was scattered, dry and desolate bones. And God says, can these live? It's like, no, they're way past you date. It's like, it's over for them. Rest in peace. But Ezekiel doesn't do what is logical. He doesn't say no. Instead, he opens himself up to the infinite possibilities and power of God. And he says, Lord, only you know. And God says, prophesy to the wind. Speak to my breath. Call upon my spirit. And so Ezekiel does this, and the spirit of God fills that place, and a powerful portrait of unity is displayed as the broken and fragmented parts of the body start to join together again. And at the end of this account, Ezekiel says these profound words. He says that the spirit of God entered them, and they stood up, and then they became a vast army. May we, church, may we become the kind of people who open ourselves up to the infinite possibilities and power of God because there is no situation that he can't mend. There is no family he can't mend. There's no marriage he can't mend. There's no church he can't mend. He is the great restorer. And that mending starts with us as individuals. You see what this image, this vision ultimately reminds me is that we can't stand together if we can't stand at all. We can't stand together if we can't stand at all. To be the united army God has called his church to be, the individual soldiers need to be healed and whole. We can't bear with each other in love if we can't even bear with ourselves. We can't lift each other up if our hands are too full with our own hurts. But when we invite the Spirit close, He comes with healing in His wings and He begins to restore what's broken and fragmented within us. And He weaves it back together. To be a united church, we have to be a full church. We have to be a people who are filled with the Spirit of God. I'm going to ask if the team can come forward so long. The only hope for our nation, our families, our relationships, the only hope for this church, for our church, is that we as individuals ask the Spirit of God to fill us. And the good news is, He has made Himself freely available to us. We don't have to have a master's in theology before He is willing to come. Jesus says the answer is simple. If you want to be filled, you just got to do one thing. All you have to do is ask. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open for you. May we know this morning, as we prepare our hearts to enter into a time of worship, that the presence of God is here. The presence of a very powerful God is here. The presence of a very powerful God who has incredible intentions for your life, for your life of your family, for your marriage, and for this church is here. And he is waiting. He's waiting for us to ask so that he can come in, so that he can touch our hearts and restore us, so that he can remind us that we are his beloved children, and so that he can transform us from the inside out, so that we are equipped and enabled to live the life that we've been called to live.
God is here. He is the God who calls himself the reconciler. And he wants to reconcile whatever is divided in our lives. May you know this morning that no matter where you are right now, you don't have to stay there. All you have to do is ask him to fool you. My prayer for myself and for you is that as we go in to prepare our hearts and sing this next song, that it will be more than a melody, more than a song, but that we'll use this as an opportunity to ask Jesus to fill us and that our transformation will begin today. Amen.